Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. So I'm joined this afternoon by Sasha Burgoyne from Softwire. Thank you for finding time this afternoon to come and join me. Not a problem. So Sasha, you're a um, project manager with Softwire. Yes. But you're also Softwire's diversity champion. Yes, I am. So tell me, tell me something more about that. What does that mean? So we have quite a lot to do with our company in corporate social responsibility. So we have a CSR officer. And then within that as well, there are different champions for different parts of CSR that we want to really emphasize or if anyone's got a particular passion about it. And when I started at the company, I was very, very passionate about increasing the diversity of the company because we'd had a more, I guess, traditional hiring practice, which we were in the process of changing. Mm -hmm. And I really, really wanted to get on board with that and help kind of really shape the way we were going and just open it up to more and more people. And so what's sort of driving that for you? Where's that interest come from? I think for me, it's partially because I'm a woman in tech, which immediately just makes it slightly different and you kind of start to notice things a little bit more. But also because I very much noticed the lack of diversity in a lot of the other companies that I had worked for before. And I just started to think this is something that this company is really interested in and really wants to push. I'm really passionate about it. So this is an opportunity for me to actually really make a difference here. Just, I guess, for clarity, what does diversity mean? It's having a variety of different people with different experiences and different backgrounds all coming into one place and using those different experiences, different identities, all to create a better product, basically, whether that product is your business or anything. Diversity is just about having lots of differences and us kind of acknowledging those differences. You know, when you meet someone, you automatically try and find the similarities with that person. You sort of play down all the differences and you try and find that one thing that you've got in common. And actually, when you have a really diverse group of people, and particularly people who you can really tell have a lot of differences to you, you try a lot harder. You you have to suddenly sort of mentally check yourself a lot more and think, am I being factually accurate? Or am I just stating an opinion that I have held and that everyone around me who is the same as me has previously been backing up? Mm. And I think that's what's really great about diversity is it's it makes you really challenge yourself and actually really think. So what difference does that make for an organisation, do you think? Yeah, so from an organisational perspective, it just increases a lot of different things. So it's been found to increase productivity in the workplace, also creativity, and just by getting lots of different... So I, I likened it earlier to like having a product. If you are trying to build something that works for people, you go and you talk to loads of those different users and you find out what their needs, frustrations and experiences are that are going to help you make the best product. It's exactly the same with business. If you get lots and lots of different people with lots of different ideas and experiences and lots of different kind of empathies as well, you're going to get a better product out of that. And there's, I think, was it McKinsey did a study about basically that you even profit more, the more diverse your workforce is and the more diverse your board is, you just do better. So, I mean, that makes, it sounds like it makes sort of financial sense mm. and it makes sense from a performance point of view. Mm. So what's stopping us then? What's stopping us building that sort of diverse workplace? I think there's a lot of different things stopping us. I think tech particularly started off in a very difficult place because it was already kind of in 
very much in the public eye that tech wasn't diverse. And that's quite a difficult place to come from is with everyone saying you're not diverse and please prove that this isn't the case. It just makes it quite difficult. And then you've sort of got two sides, really. There's the side who are going, no, you know, we don't we don't need diversity, which it is there. I mean, a lot of people would be reluctant to say that. But there are people who sort of say, oh, you know, that's just a quota system, which, which isn't diversity at all. And a lot of people who sort of say, oh, well, you know, we're just hiring the best people. But actually, there's on the other side of that, there's the people who are very pro-diversity, who I think even with the best intentions, have started making it quite a accusatory place to be. It's very much, oh, you know, you're not doing this because you're racist or sexist or homophobic or any of these things. And that's a very, very, it sets it up in a very difficult position to start with mm. because you've just got two people coming, kind of both accusing each other of effectively personality defects. <laughs> And doing that in the public eye and with the kind of hiring managers thinking, OK, well, how do we fix this? Well, we, we've just got to chase after all of these diverse people. That's not actually creating a diverse environment, because if those people are coming into an environment that isn't inclusive for diverse people, they're just going to leave it again. It's not a pleasant place to be. It's not enjoyable for anyone. And you're going to just get really high attrition rates. Mm. And you're not solving your diversity problem. You're just potentially hiring people for the sake of hiring people who look or sound or think like you want them to, and then they're going to leave. So I think it's a really, really difficult problem and is much more about the inclusivity than the actual diversity. Uh, Often people go, oh, well, you know, we'll hire the people and the culture will come. Actually, you've got to approach it the other way around. If you have a culture that enables diversity, the diverse people are going to come to you because if you've got a culture that makes it really easy for working mums, for example, or people who are coming from backgrounds where they haven't had got a university degree, then you're going to get lots and lots of different applicants coming and not just, you know, the standard pool of, oh, we must only hire from Oxbridge, in which case you're really narrowing your talent pool. And I think that's a lot of where it comes from is people are narrowing their hiring pool subconsciously. They're saying, oh, well, we only want these people because they are the best but I mean what does the best mean who at what point was that judged and often the people who have got into those positions that we subconsciously think are the best are there because of a lot of privileges that they've had and actually it's it's just a kind of class or education or background thing and you're just narrowing your pool down if you're going at it from a perspective of we need to hire more women you're probably not looking at it in the right way. It's more of a how can we make our environment nicer for lots of different people to work in and how can we examine our own biases and how that's affecting our hiring. So you mentioned bias there. Mm. I think it's interesting to explore that the sort of the conscious bias and the unconscious bias, isn't mm. it, alongside each other yeah. and the impact that has on inclusivity as you've been talking about it. Mm. Have you come across both of those in your experience? Yes, I mean... <laughs> As a woman, I've had some very strange comments made about particularly things like pregnancy and family, often in ways you wouldn't expect. Mm. So you just sort of have people say things like, oh, well, even not just about me specifically, but I've had men talking to me saying, well, but, you know, if you had two identical candidates and one of them was a woman and one of them was a man, you'd hire the man because the woman might go, is likely to go on maternity leave at some point and you just think I mean first of all the concept of two identical candidates is bizarre but also you are in that particular case taking someone who you think is going to act in a particular way 
regardless of whether you're looking at the man or the woman, you're thinking that the man is going to be there longer and is not going to, you know, leave you to go and have children. That may not be the case. And in the case of if it's a woman, you don't know whether she might want to have children. And you also don't have any right to judge either of them for that. It's, I mean, it's incredibly heteronormative, first of all, to assume, you know, that there's going to be sort of a straight woman and a straight man and the woman is going to go home and, you know, have children and everything. It's coming from a place where we have considered straight white women to go and have children and straight white men to be the breadwinners. And I think as a society, we are starting to move away from that. Mm. But it's a difficult habit to get out of. It's a really hard habit to kick, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And you can see it in trends like people who hand in their CVs and they have a name that's not European or even like an English name they find way more success with their CVs as soon as they change their name to be one that British people consider to be more British. I don't think these people are doing it on purpose. It's just one of those pieces of unconscious bias where you think, oh, that's per- that person is visibly different to me. Maybe I won't have as much common with them or maybe they won't think the way that I think. And it's a really difficult thing to get over. And from the perspective of people who have those bias, it's horrible being told you have bias, Mm. I think. Particularly, there's a lot of talk about things like white privilege. And a lot of people, I think, understandably react very negatively to that because it's very hard to be told you've had this privilege and you've had this benefit your whole life. People tend to then react to that quite defensively, saying, oh, but, you know, I've had this hardship or, you know, this thing went against me. And actually, you, you've, you've got to kind of put that to one side and say, OK, yeah, you've, you've had these various disadvantages. But one of the advantages you've had is that you're white or that you're straight or that you're male. And these are, in this particular culture, traditionally beneficial. And you won't even have seen that, probably. But it's it's a diff- it's a really bitter pill to swallow, I think, for a lot of people. I think it's a really it's a really interesting challenge that you're talking about mm. um, in terms of changing the way that people think and feel. Mm. These are not easy things to change, are they? What's your view on sort of generational differences? Do you see that? Yeah, and interesting kind of. I'm harking back to a talk I saw by uh, Bo Young Lee, who is Uber's chief officer of diversity, and she talked about how with her kids at the playground, there was a very, very obvious gender and racial split between the kids and the sort of stay-at-home mums and then the nannies and how that is not lost on children. It's It really isn't, and it, we'd be foolish to think that it was. And if you don't talk to them about it and you don't talk about the way that colonialism and racism and homophobia and all the sort of historical really messes that have happened like we we often try and sort of sweep a lot of things under the rug and in the case of things like you know British colonialism we don't talk about that a lot particularly in schools we talk about World War One and World War Two, and we have a very sort of black and white opinion of you know like who was on the right side and who was on the wrong side and who won and who lost and it's much more about talking to children about how these changes came about and how why it is that things look the way they do and why you get more stay-at-home mums than stay-at-home dads because kids are interested they always are and I think we often try and kind of shelter kids from a lot of difficult conversations like that partially because we're really uncomfortable with them and it is something I think we could get more used to is being comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm. because we're always going to be learning no one would ever say that they are a fully formed complete human being who has a sort of perfect idea of everything about the world 
And actually just admitting that you are still learning and that it's your job to do that learning and that self-education makes a big difference. And with young people and with children, that's a really big place which you can impact. So thinking about this, I guess, organisationally, mm-hmm. what can leaders in organisations practically do mm-hmm. to change the culture as you've been describing? So there's a few things you can do, things like conducting completely anonymous surveys and I mean completely anonymous surveys and that can be quite difficult for example if you have a company of predominantly white employees and you've got say one black employee saying please state your race at the beginning of of this questionnaire it's going to tell you who that person was and what their answers were so it's a very difficult thing to engineer but things like that to examine how people feel and how comfortable they are, whether they feel like they've ever been passed over for a job opportunity or a promotional opportunity, whether they feel comfortable as well as part of the sort of company activities, because again, something that you see quite a lot in tech is like, oh, we'll all just go for a beer or, you know, we'll get some pizza in and some beer in. And you often don't see things that are, that's quite a specific group of people who are going to want those things. And it's something I certainly noticed for years because I don't drink. So there's a a large culture around drinking, which is interesting because it's, it's excluding a lot of like religions or just, you know, people like me who don't do it. That's the kind of thing you just don't notice until someone points it out and says, oh, actually, this isn't a thing I'm included in and I, and I can't feel comfortable with this. So being able to look at your company culture and seeing, OK, we do a lot of we, we have some benefits, for example. Those benefits are we get free beer. OK, that's not actually benefiting a proportion of people who we might want to work at this company. And is something I very much appreciate about my own company because when I turned up there was, you know, they said, oh, we have all this cool stuff like, you know, pool table and table tennis and that's quite traditionally sort of tech industry. But they also have free manicures. And I was like, that's interesting. (laughs) And like yoga and massages. And suddenly there was just these little things that I was noticing, which were coming from somewhere where people had thought it's not just this one very specific kind of person we're catering to. And again, men can have manicures. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Everyone can have them. And just looking at little things like that and how maybe the kind of events that you set up as a company, just the way that you all talk, the way that your office is set up, maybe that it's actually preventing some people from feeling comfortable. Mm. Even just things like having, and this is this is a, a highly contentious issue, but things like gender segregated bathrooms, for example, that is preventing people who might, for example, identify as non-binary or might identify as transgender from potentially using the facilities that they are most comfortable with. And it's just things like that that you, you've just got to start thinking about and just taking in the perspective of other people. And I think so much of it is just about kindness, just showing that bit of empathy and thinking about how something what you are very, very comfortable with and that has maybe been part of your life for a long time is actually probably excluding other people and making other people uncomfortable. And again, it's very difficult and as well accepting you're going to make mistakes because you will inevitably. Everyone does. And wanting to learn from those rather than avoid them completely by not doing anything to change it is, I think, a really big part of it. So I'm I'm really struck by that word kindness because it's Mm. sort of at the heart of this entire topic, isn't it? Yeah. But it's linked, it's absolutely intrinsically linked to performance and retention and Mm. and, and attraction. It's it's a business case, isn't it? Absolutely. 
And I think just showing that bit of kindness and showing that you are willing to really take into account how your employees are feeling and that they are comfortable within the workplace is a huge part of it. And I like to think that gone are the days when everyone just sort of said, well, you know, you should be thankful for your job and knuckle down and accept what you've been given, because that's not the kind of culture I think we want to live in now. And it's not so much about having to just accept the norm and accept this very narrow definition of normal that we've been provided. Mm -hmm. And instead just say, no, we, we actually just want everyone to be able to work to their best and work comfortably, because... If everyone is happy and comfortable, they're going to work much better anyway. So just from a business perspective, it's a better idea. Sasha, we've been talking about diversity in, in lots of different forms. So one thing mm. that we haven't really touched on yet is thinking about how we can make our workplaces more inclusive for those either with a disability or, or, or I guess, less able-bodied yeah. who might be impacted by a traditional workplace. Mm. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. So again, I think just having that understanding and offering to help with these things is is a big part of it. So open office plans, I suppose, help a little bit with that because it's not you're not having to kind of navigate so many areas. But even things like being able to work from home more, being able to have flexible working hours as well, having the option to do things like have doctor's appointments when you need them, even have, you know, care staff and things come with you to the office and have have facilities available for them as well just by being able to think about that person's needs and not have it impact their experience at the workplace as well and again when thinking about events that you're putting on it's just worth always taking into consideration you know not just sort of physical disabilities but as well things like neurodiversity and mental health just things that you can do to make it better for lots and lots of different people who just won't quite be maybe experiencing the world as you are and may struggle to find a way to you know include themselves in these events so you know if you if you have paintballing or something that might potentially be quite difficult for someone to do so just thinking about how to not exclude people from from your events is is very important but a lot of it's just about offering offering to make people's lives easier for them rather than having to make them ask you. And is there something in there as well about making it easier for them to ask as well? Something about Mm. being approachable and having that open two-way conversation about things? Yeah, absolutely. And personally, when I'm dealing with, so I have a couple of people who I mentor and just as diversity uh, champion in general, I try and be very, very open about any experiences that I've had or any issues I've faced, because even if they're not directly relatable, People are much, much more willing to talk to someone who is happy to say, yes, I'm a human being and and yes, I have, you know, mental health issues or I've experienced this kind of discrimination or anything like that. Or even I haven't experienced any of this at all. And this is very out of my comfort zone because people are actually really happy to connect with you and help you as well. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants to have a good experience at work. No one wants to come into work and be miserable. So by just having that open discussion and that open channel for discussion as well makes it so much easier for everyone. So I'm thinking, what what advice might you give to somebody who was thinking about joining an organisation which at current time, from the outside, didn't look like it was a very diverse or inclusive environment, Mm -hmm. but was taking steps to work towards being more so? What advice would you give to that person? There's a lot I think you can infer from asking about these things. 
If you ask somewhere, how diverse are you? And they say, oh, yes, we're incredibly diverse. We have, I think we have one woman in the admin team or something similar to that. And don't provide you with any kind of here are the steps we're taking. Then that's probably a bit of an alarm signal. If someone says to you, you know, we really could do better. These are the steps we're currently taking, but we can always do better. Do you have any ideas? That's that's just really positive. And you can then take that initiative and that willingness to do things. And it's got to be genuine because, again, you know, some places say, yes, yes, we're, we're, you know, we're really trying hard by just sending these recruiters after these very specific people, which isn't really trying. But you can listen to the steps that they're taking and listen to how they are trying to change things and how they are thinking about these things. And that can give you a lot of encouragement, I think. And I think, I guess my final question is the sort of flip side of that, really. (laughs) If you are talking to a manager or a business leader in an organisation that seems reluctant to change, what, what advice would you give them about what they can do themselves to impact that? I think it's really difficult because a lot of people do feel very stuck in their ways. And I think in the case of a lot of managers, it's because they're feeling a little threatened by the whole thing. There's this, you know feeling that you haven't been doing things in the right way previously or perhaps that again it comes down to this you have bias or you have privilege in some way and it's it's really difficult for people and it tends to make them quite defensive so I think just bring it back to thinking about times when you felt uncomfortable in a situation think about a time when you weren't made to feel included or you weren't made to feel comfortable and that can even be, you know, I don't know, in the playground or or anything or, you know, some kind of event where you just felt a bit out of place. And just imagine what it's like to feel like that all the time and imagine that that's the norm for, for a lot of people and that they're having that constantly pointed out. So you're in this uncomfortable situation and people are effectively reminding you the whole time, hey, you don't quite belong here. You're, you're, you don't quite fit into this. And having those constant tiny, tiny reminders if you put yourself in, in that position and just think, gosh, you know, I must be missing out on a lot of other people's talent and, and abilities because they feel like that, then I'd like to think that hopefully that person would feel a little bit more inclined to, to help with change. You've given so many great pieces of advice this afternoon. <laughs> Thank you. It's a it's a, an ongoing topic, isn't mm-hmm. it? But some really great insights from you. Thank you. Oh, no problem at all. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndell. Thank you.